Murders on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic comps, crime, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, acclaimed novelist Kate Kessler joins me in the interrogation room to clear up a few things about her writing and craft. A self-confessed former juvenile delinquent, Kate grew up in a northeast rural town where sorrows and celebrations are shared and secrets are hard to keep. She began reading Nancy Drew novels, graduated to Sidney Sheldon's intrigue-fueled thrillers by age 11, and began writing her own books the following year. Kate blames a peculiar addiction to soap operas in her youth and an overblown sense of curiosity for often landing her in trouble in her teens. Today, she prefers to write about trouble rather than experience it herself, and claims to spend much of her time trying to figure out why people do the things they do. Her first series, about a woman named Audrey Hart, explored some of the darker sides of humanity, and her latest release in a new series, entitled Seven Crows, features recently released convict and parolee Killian Delaney. Having just released last month, this novel forces its protagonist into a morally impossible choice and compels her to risk everything precious in her life. Welcome to Writers on the Beat, Kate. I greatly appreciate you making time to come to the studio and talk about this uh, this next release, Seven Crows. This is a fantastic book. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so I, I just finished reading it, and normally uh, for, for this show, I'd say I've read pieces of about 80 books this year, and I've only finished about maybe 25 to 30 of them oh, wow. uh, just, just because, you know, at some point something along the way loses interest or, you know, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't keep up the pace, especially on a thriller. Uh, I finished your book in two sittings. Oh, and, oh God. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. This, this was a, a really fantastic book. And, you know, especially as, as a retired cop, right. I have a special love affair with, you know, the, uh, the dark side of society. Um, do you okay great we're gonna be fine then I, I, um, because i do too and so now knowing that i um, now i'm finding you a little extra fascinating as well so okay yeah here we go so um you know i absolutely fell in love with killian delaney and her character i i I, I, I want to go have beer with her, maybe whiskey, just as long as I can sit against the back wall and, yeah. uh, you know, I have an exit somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. She, she might feel the same way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, quite, not quite sure how she'd, how she'd even approach that, but, um, yeah. How did she come to, to exist? Well, okay. So I have to jump back a little bit. Um, a couple of years ago, I started work on a young adult book about human trafficking. And, um, and that's under being uh, released under a different name uh, next year. And I discovered this documentary called I Am Jane Doe. Mm -hmm. And there was a mother in this documentary. It's about um, the people who went after Backpage. And eventually okay. are responsible yep. for bringing it down. Yeah. And there was a mother in there who had, whose daughter had been trafficked and she found her daughter's ad and she oh my God. made a date and went and saved her kid. That's incredible. Right. And mm. so the idea of that kind of, okay, somebody going to save this kid basically was, was where it started. And and then I just knew that I just um, wanted to make Killian um, a little rougher around the edges. And mm -hmm. 
I think I was in love with John Wick at that moment. And um, well, who's not? It's Keanu, first of all, right? But I mean, it's John Wick. It's just, they're just beautiful to watch. And um, I have a real thing for choreographed fights or fight scenes. And I just sit there with my mouth open. Like, you know, like the show Daredevil on Netflix, if Mm -hmm. you've ever watched it. The the fights are just beautiful. Um, And I realized that there wasn't a lot of that geared towards women. Mm Mm-hmm. And that we don't get a lot of female anti-heroes that aren't completely psychotic. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. and so I thought, you know, I really want to write something kind of action-y for women. And then I discovered Gina Carano and um, the UFC fighter. Mm-hmm. And and I went, yeah, okay, I, I know what I'm doing now. So I basically took the movie Taken and uh, yeah. the TV show Sons of Anarchy. And because uh, if, if you've watched Sons of Anarchy, the first episode is Jax Teller getting out of jail. And yes. um, I created a female lead and and ran with it with all these different little ideas that I had had uh, of things I wanted to do. And um, I fell completely in love with this woman. She's just... I just love her so much. Yeah, yeah, this is a fantastic story and I I absolutely love how fully three-dimensional you made the characters in this show. Oh, thank uh, you. Sorry, in the show in this book. No, no, it, I'd love the the fact that you made that little slip. That is means everything to me mm-hmm. because that's how I wanted it to be. I wanted people to feel like this was a show or a movie. Yeah, it, it definitely needs to be. So Netflix, if you're listening. <laughs> it, <laughs> you, please, you, Netflix, if you're listening. Yeah, you need Killian Delaney on your schedule. Yeah. You're or, only cheating or, yourself. Or some sweet, sweet Amazon money, one of the two. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Talking about women in, in fighting, I think that's one of the things I, I – uh, it doesn't come up all that often, but occasionally something like this will kind of organically happen. I, uh, I, I taught Krav Maga to uh, my <sighs> – last law enforcement agency mm-hmm. we had such a uh, a difficult time that that is a fantastic fighting system it's very yes. efficient very effective there's no wasted movement or energy it's very clean and natural i i can't say enough good things about krav yeah um, we actually have a friend who was in who is from israel and was in oh wow in the army yeah right, right and now yeah, now he's like this like suave engineer who looks like a catalog <laughs> model, right? But who can kick your ass? Yeah. Exactly, six yeah. ways from Sunday. Yeah. One of the difficulties was really with our, our female officers in getting them to tap into their inner violence. Um, mm-hmm. And I was having a, a conversation with uh, Tori Eldridge, uh, another author who's a legit ninja. Um, right on and in discussing fighting and fight systems and and training women the way that she explained it is that the female psyche are generally afraid to hurt someone else even if they deserve it yeah and when she's been working with female practitioners they deliberately have a conversation about giving them permission to harm someone else to use physical force against an unjustified aggression and it's like this huge light bulb went off and I'm like, I, I wish I'd had this conversation 10 years ago before I started teaching anybody because this yeah. like that, that's an, an, an amazing reality that it's right in front of you the whole time, but you don't really appreciate that. So, you know, to have a unique character like Killian Delaney <laughs> um, and, and her background is, is unbelievably refreshing. I, it's, I can't say oh, enough good you. things about her. Yeah. Well, I think part of that comes from I grew up with a bloodthirsty mother, which <laughs> sounds kind of funny. <laughs> um, 
So my mother was severely crippled with arthritis by the time I was three or four years old. And she still just had this amazing backbone. And she would tell me stories from when she was a kid Mm -hmm. and um, she couldn't stand a bully. And the only time mom ever got physical was when other people were getting picked on. And she would tell me about how she clotheslined this guy off his bicycle. Um, and I thought that was brilliant. And and I grew up in this little town where the, the nearest, so I'm Canadian. So the nearest RCMP detachment mm-hmm. was about 20 to 25 minutes away. And it's a very small mud puddle of this little town. And mm-hmm. if you're familiar with small towns, you know that sometimes there's a certain lawlessness or yes. law unto itself. Vigilantism. Yeah. 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 And that kind of goes with that. And and I remember one time these young fellows had come around the house. They were all stoned up. And one of them had hit on my mother. And I don't think they meant anything intentional, but they were just, they just creeped everybody out. Mm-hmm. And uh, dad came home and found out about it. My father was a lumberjack. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's in his late 80s now. And he's still got more uh-huh. physicality than people 20 years his, his yes. junior. Anyway, he put a metal pipe in the back of the half ton and went looking for them. <laughs> so this is, thank you for laughing, Gavin. This is how I grew up, okay? Now, can I come to your next family reunion? You I'll, sure I'll, can. You sure can. Right. And I'll, I mean, I punched a girl in the throat when I was 12. Like I backhanded her and it was, it, it was horrible. But anyway, yes. uh, horrible of me. Uh, it's still a, something I remember quite fondly in some ways. Yes. But um, so, but I wasn't much of a fighter. Mm-hmm. But um, I also think it had something to do with the fact that I just knew that it was in me to do it if I needed to or whatever, or that, mm-hmm. you know, growing up yeah. with both mom and dad, you know, and I wonder if maybe that is with some women is that, um, cause I talked about this recently at a signing is that a lot of women don't resort to violence unless they they're fighting for themselves or somebody they care about. And mm-hmm. I think when women get to the point that they're going to do something physical, they're in it to win yes. it kind of thing. And so we are reluctant to hurt because, because, you know, there are some times when I'm just like, yeah, if I had a baseball bat, you know, he's <laughs> like, so I think, I think that's part of it that, you know, you're going to face the consequence that there's going to be consequences and it has to be worth yes. it. My niece has this saying that uh, the juice has to be worth the squeeze. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and in, and as you know, in the book, Killian weighs everything against whether or not it's worth going back to prison. Yes. And and so that's just it. It's like, is this going to be worth the consequences? And God help you if a woman decides that you're going to be worth the consequences. Um, yeah, ab- I think absolutely. that's it. But yeah, women have to find different things to fight with too. I mean, my mm-hmm. husband is about six feet tall, and I'm not ashamed. Well, I am ashamed, but I outweigh him. Okay, mm-hmm. and I should, by that token, when you think about that, I should be able to you know, best him in some way, but no, I can't. He is still stronger than me yes. and he has a longer reach than I do. And yeah, the only thing you can do when you're outnumbered like that is you have to find uh, something creative, which is why, because a, a woman in, at the signing that I was at recently kept bringing up Killian and the toaster. Yes. And, um, and I was like, yeah, well, what else, you know, she needed, a weapon and a weapon um, of opportunity. Yeah. If you want to watch a great movie with some really awesome female fight scenes, 
it, it's Atomic Blonde. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. And yeah. the thing Charlize Theron does, because she's, you know, fighting a lot of these guys that are just going to be stronger than her naturally. And I just love that she's she's using those incredible legs of hers. I mean, yeah, you know, and that's what a lot of women don't get is like a lot of times we have our strength is lower body. Yes. Well, you you men have a lot of upper body and I'm just like rabbit kick somebody. Oh, my God. Get those, you know, get those legs in there, too. And, you know, and also going back to the, the, the ninja conversation, that was mm. one of the other aspects of that was that women, because of your smaller stature, that in and of itself is an advantage if you play to it. A oh. woman's inside game. Um, is typically more potent than a man's. And there's positions that women can manipulate that men cannot. And most male-female fights, right, devolve into, you know, bear hug, brute force wrestling match. Yeah. Um, and women who are able to or expect that and are trained for it and know how to counter it will be very effective. Mm. Have you have you watched um? There's a Gina Carano did this movie and I I can't remember the name is it's like hard not hard target or something, and there I'll have to look it up. But there is a great fight scene between her and Michael Fassbender. Mm. Wow. And yes, and I mean she's about what five foot eight, hundred and forty yeah. something like that, and this. This fight scene is amazing, and she ends up with this. Uh, what sticks with me is she ends up with this beautiful run in her nylons because you know it's just I don't know. It's just it's an image that sticks with me. But yeah, um, there you believe that the two of them are beating the crap out of each other, and she does a lot of grappling. There's a lot of leg stuff, and there too because she's got amazing legs. Um, and yeah, you have to if you're if you're fighting a guy, you have to get a little bit creative. I think. What kind of research did you put in to create this story, this character, and 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 her exploits to make it as as authentic as you did? Is I my first thought when I finished this book is that you have been to prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have professional fighting experience. You've actually cut someone with a blade, um, and you know you you probably have spent a serious amount of time around an outlaw motorcycle gang because oh my god, so many so many. Thank you so much. Well, so many aspects of, of the story in relation to those things was, was so authentic from my own experience that I had to give you credit that that's where you got it. Well, I'm I'm going to uh, say thank you and um, give myself a pat on the back um, because I – no. <laughs> I've never um, – but I do believe if you're going to jump into a topic, you do need to research it and you need to feel it. Now, I am a woman of a certain age, Gavin. <laughs> and I find that when that happens, there's something that shifts. Mm -hmm. And then again, of course, being, you know, raised in sort of this, um, this community, like, I just remember a lot of lawlessness, like I said, but yeah. it all felt very, you know, justified, Yes. which again was another favorite TV show of mine, justified. Um, yeah, that was a fantastic show. Tim yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Walton Goggins, like just, I could watch the two of them in a room together all day. And, um, I think the thing is, is like, you know, I, I've never been in a gang, but I, I have known some people who associate and mm -hmm. I think that's kind of it. Yeah. I've, I've known some people who have been in jail and, um, and I just like to listen to them and then put myself in that kind of situation. And I don't know what it is, but, and, and I thank you for, for saying all that, but I find it 
it's a lot easier for me to imagine what it's like to be that than it is for me to imagine what it's like to be somebody who's completely good. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know what that says about me, but, um, but I thank you because I have never cut anybody other than myself. <laughs> uh, I've never been in jail and I, I, I have been on the back of a Harley, but it's been a long mm -hmm. time. One of the things that I believe is a key component of, of the human experience is kind of what we've been alluding to, this, this vigilanteism or kind of a natural order of mm -hmm. human relationships. And, you know, I have no pause or bulk about, you know, your description of growing up in, you know, this, this town where people took care of themselves yeah. and sought your own justice and, you know, made things right. To me, that is so much more naturally human condition than what a lot of folks are raising their kids on today, which is, you know, you're never, it's never okay to hit somebody. Yeah. Violence is never the answer. Never participate in a fight. You'll be punished for being there just as much as, as starting it. And to me, uh, that works really well in, you know, some suburban utopia where <laughs> ev everyone is nice and polite and we yeah. all agree on what ethics are, right? But the fact of the matter is, some people cohabitate our cities, towns, and, and park next to us at the Circle K. Some mm. people only speak motherfuck. Some people yeah. only understand violence. Mm -hmm. And they are only limited in what they're willing to do to someone else by how much it's going to hurt them to do it. That juice and the yeah. squeeze you talked about. Yep. And those people exist and they're walking around. And to pretend that they don't exist, that you know, the, the, the antagonists of your story are not real people is just total ignorance because they're, they're all around us. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was doing the research for the trafficking thing, I, I became a, a mentor to a girl who had been trafficked and, um, I love her with all my heart. She's out there right now. Uh, well, doing her thing, but she opened up a, a world to me that, because I mean, mm -hmm. I was used to, like I said, the rural lawlessness, but she introduced me to some hard stuff <laughs> and yeah. uh depravity yeah yeah and and the things that you know people will do to each other mm -hmm. and For yeah money. and I, I think you're right that being like you know i wasn't raised not to hit um but i was raised to you know not run around doing it indiscriminately yes and um and i was raised to never back down from a bully mm -hmm. and um and I think, yeah, I think if you if you teach your kids that it's never okay. I mean, I think you should teach your kids that, you know, maybe instigating violence isn't a good thing or, yeah. you know, whatever. But never teach them that standing up for themselves is a bad idea. With all of your writing, it, it, we were talking in the in the green room, um, you've written a number of publications. Um, yeah, and... I've been doing this for 20 years now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I find in talking to most writers that they had an early influence, a mentor, someone who, oh. who put them on this track and, and encouraged them to, to pursue this passion. And I, I wonder if you had someone like that. Yeah, I, I've been blessed to have a few, I think, but, um, the, the earliest has to be my mother who we've discussed, discussed a little mm -hmm. bit. And, um, I, I lost her several years ago now, but, um, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. Uh, but my mother was something else. And, and I think like I've told you she was a little bloodthirsty and, uh, <laughs> her favorite book was how green was my Valley. 
And wow. I don't know if you've ever read that, but she liked it because there was a scene or there was a storyline in which this young woman had been sexually assaulted. Now, she didn't like mm-hmm. that part of it. Right. What she liked was that when they caught the culprit, they turned him over to her brother and her father. <laughs> yes. And and she made me read the book. And, and I will thank her for that. But I started out as a kid, I would write... Well, I was very precocious and and my sisters were nine, 12 and 14 years older than me. And then, you know, mom would read these Harlequin romances and and I was reading those and I was trying to write love scenes at at age 10. And mom was just like, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but she never tried to stop me. And by equal measure, I was writing horror as well, Mm -hmm. because you know what you're like at 10 and, and I, and this was in the eighties. So it was like the. Freddy and Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees. Jason. Yep. Um, you know, and I think one of the earliest memories is prom night, and, you know. So um <laughs> I was writing that kind of stuff and I remember the most common thing I heard from my mother in those days was, "Oh, Catherine, where do you come up with this stuff?" But she never tried to stop me and she mm-hmm. always encouraged it and uh we were poor, very poor. And I remember coming downstairs, um, it was the Christmas I was 17, and sitting in the living room was a desk, which was, you know, just like this unfinished desk, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, with a, okay, I'm dating myself here, but with an electronic typewriter. Oh, yeah. On no, type that... of it. And on top of it. And that was, um, and her standing there, so proud of herself, because she had saved to buy me this wow! and I'm sorry. Yeah. So I'm getting a little of a clamp. So, <laughs> um, and that was, yeah, she would be the most, um, most influential in my life ever. But I also had a teacher in high school by the name of Larry Bent. If you're out there, Larry, God love you. And, um, he would encourage me to write and, he would tell me to, you know, I would, I would finish up work in class ahead of some of the other kids. And so he'd say, go to the library. Um, cause he knew I was a doors fan. He knew I liked that old mm-hmm. music and he'd say, go to the library, get a book on Janis Joplin, read it. And then we're going to talk about her. And so he would spend sometime would spend lunch hours with me and we would talk about stuff and we would share writing with each other. And he so cool. Yeah, he was the first adult to treat me as an equal mm-hmm. and support my writing. And I so I think, you know, the two of them, you know, Mom and, and Larry Bent were the two big ones when I was younger. And then when I was in my late twenties, um, and I'd been, you know, dating this guy for a few years and uh I later had the good sense to marry him. And he just said to me, like, why don't you do it? Like, write this book and he supported me then and he was, he's been my biggest fan and he's read just about everything I've written and he's still, you know, still there supporting me to this day. So, um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, mom, Larry Benton, my husband, Steve (laughs) have been, um, have, have always had my back. So I probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't have decided to do this if it weren't for the three of them. Without having a a support network that both you know in, encourages, criticizes, and, and and really kind of embraces this, 
it would be really hard to put out a piece of your soul to the universe. Oh my god! So incredibly personal, especially now in the age of the internet, right? Oh my god! You you get instant feedback from every keyboard warrior who's really upset about some minute aspect. My first book, that's the guy launched in the internet age. Mm -hmm. My first book came out in two thousand and one. I can't tell you the first good review I got about that book, but I still remember the first bad one, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is just, you know, so sad. Yes. And they called my work drivel. (laughs) Wow. And, you know, and now though, you know, recently uh, PW, you're familiar with Publishers Weekly, Mm -hmm. reviewed Seven Crows and they said of Killian that she was... Um, she was no Lisbeth Salander, and and I was like, well, she wasn't trying to be Lisbeth Salander, and and that's about as upset as I got about it. I mean, now they just sort of they they roll yeah. off me, um, but I I find now that I'm taking the time to appreciate the good reviews more and just sort of sweep the bad ones away. I am just so in love with this character. Like, I, I so appreciate that. When I first finished the book, and I write some content for a, a, another website, and so we have a, a review actually coming out pretty soon on Oh yay. On, on Seven Crows. And the opening of that review, going back to the beginning of this mm-hmm. one, is that Killian Delaney is effectively a female John Wick. Um, <gasps> that is, oh, is, that just makes me smile. <laughs> This story is is so darkly beautiful. I just really appreciate how well you take people into into this world and show them the darker underbelly. And turns out not all bad people are bad, right? No. Well, you know, I think some of that came from, I had an epiphany years ago, and I won't use any names to protect the innocent, but um, I have a friend... Um, who had been dating another friend. And um, so we just fell in love with this guy. And then we found out, uh, he revealed to us that he had done some serious time mm-hmm. for a very serious crime. And I I so appreciate the fact that we got to know him first. Yes. Because like I said, we fell in love with him. And at first it was kind of hard to reconcile. But of course me, I don't know, with this brain of mine and how it works you know, he's offered, you know, like, look, I'll help you with any research I can. And and I've had to say to him, no, like, you are my friend, not research. Don't do that because I will abuse right. you. But yeah. it was a beautiful eye-opening experience that the most wonderful people can are are capable of terrible things. And I'm I'm constantly heartbroken over the amount of guilt he still carries. But um it that was just such a an eye opener. I mean there's nobody mm-hmm. that's completely good and this is why my romance career fizzled out <laughs> because um, because I was getting notes from my editor saying things like, he's not behaving much like a hero right now. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, no, he's behaving like a guy. What's your problem? <laughs> right? yeah. Like, Or yeah. why can't she do that? Why does she have to be nice all the time? And um, I'm just not interested in writing about people who were 100% good or 100% bad. Well, I think that's where that's where the interesting things happen is in that gray area of you mm-hmm. know, the the morally questionable. And, I love the gray area. Thank you for yeah. bringing it up. And you know, so like I started out writing crime series based on my own training and experience in caseload. And about a year and a half ago, uh, my wife and I were sitting around the table. I, I don't even remember what the impetus of the conversation was, but 
the conclusion of it was that I should write a conspiracy series um, about a morally questionable priest who used to be a cop (laughs) and how he internally deals with all of the terrible things that he hears in confession and all the things that he knows about victims and uh, perpetrators mm. in his little society oh my and God. how how does he reconcile what he knows with what he can and cannot do now that he's a priest and not a cop and so he gets pushed into some some pretty pretty grievous things and then deals with them in a very human way and you know it's been really interesting to me to see uh, what some of the feedback has been on on that about how you know our, our stereotypes of priests. Mm. You know, as soon um, as we're done this, I'm going and looking those books. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read that. Um, but you know, so some of the you know the stereotypes that society has about what priests are and what they're not um, has weighed very heavily in, in how all of that has been received. And I, I think it's you know it turns out um, to me they're they're human just like everybody else. Uh, yeah. Um, I love that idea. And I I particularly love when you start taking these people who in society are supposed to be above us all. So when you take priests or nuns or cops, teacher, you know, whatever, and you do Mm -hmm. make them that kind of, um, you know, because that's the, that's the most interesting conflict. It's not when it's conflict between them and other people. It's when it's conflict between the character and, you know, themselves. Yes. And, um, oh yeah, I'm going to have to look those up now. Cause I'm like, oh, that sounds so, so fascinating. But I've always wanted to do a series, um, of sort of like nuns mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, um, are disciples of, uh, Santa Muerte. Yes. Yeah. And, and do my own little thing on that because, um, you know, I realized that when people mm-hmm. embrace their true nature and not just that, when you have embraced your mortality, there's just something something beautiful happens when people mm-hmm. let go a lot of what they think they should be doing. Yeah. The, the things yeah. that we put on for the benefit of society. Um, yeah, I think so. Because, you know, it, it's funny. I'm a very silly person, Gavin. Um, I am I can a, tell from the context of this interview. It's right. I'm, I'm just, I, silly yes. Right. right, right. Um, my husband refers to me as his ball of chaos and he means <laughs> it affectionately, but I mean, I have purple hair. I'm sitting here in in disney pajamas right now doing this interview and um and i do i like silly goofy little things and i you know and all that all that good stuff and um you know i had a friend one time say to me cuz i talked about something and it you know it was like when somebody had hurt somebody else and i was just like oh if i'd been there i would have just smacked them or something mm-hmm. and she told me that i shouldn't talk so tough because someday somebody might believe it wow and and I just looked at her. I'm like, what What do you mean? And she said, Well, they might actually think that you know you're capable of something like that. And I realized that she thought that just because I'm dressed like a you know probably a giant cupcake at the time, um, yeah. that assumed that I w- that I couldn't or that I wasn't capable mm-hmm. of following yeah. through. And and I was just like, I don't make threats, <laughs> you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Like, I don't go looking for conflict. Um, and the reason I don't go looking for conflict is because I like it. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's and, a certain amount. I have a, a crazy neighbor, <laughs> and he'll never listen to this, but um, who cursed me out and um, 
And since you already dropped the MF bomb, I know it's okay to swear on her. <laughs> so he's, he's crazy. And he was mad at me for feeding squirrels. And we had a little nest of squirrels on our deck. And, and he was so mad about it. And he's screaming at squirrels in the backyard. And I'm like, buddy, that's nature. You're not going to get rid of the squirrels, <laughs> but you know, fill your boots. And, and he keeps telling the squirrels to like, come to my house. And I just happened to look at the window and he's like, what are you looking at? You fat fuck. Oh. And I was like, Oh, so I got a jar of peanuts, walked out on my back deck, and started throwing peanuts all over my lawn and his for the squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I'm like, what are you going to do now? <laughs> and he just hasn't spoken to me since. <laughs> but I find myself, you know, I'm glad my husband wasn't home at the time because he always says I'm going to do something to get myself shot. The reason so many people run their mouth rampantly at everyone around them is because they haven't tasted their own blood in a long time. Yeah. And, you know, if every time you said something that was totally despicable to another human being, you got punched, you would stop <laughs> doing that. You would like to think, right, that people yeah. would shut up. In my experience and in the conversations I've had over the last year, uh, writers consistently are among the most avid readers. Mm. And I wonder who... Uh, your favorite fictional investigator is in, in oh. books, TV, or film? My God. Um, I love Karen Slaughter's books. Have you read her? Yes. Oh, she, she is. She has one of my votes for thriller of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, I love with, Will uh, Trent. Last Widow. Oh, yes. I oh, the guy. You know what? I haven't. That's on my Kindle. I haven't mm -hmm. read it yet. Um, I'm so far behind, but you're only cheating yourself. It's, it's okay. So yeah, I know. I, I actually met her at a thriller fest and I got so tongue tied that I said something completely <laughs> stupid to her and it doesn't happen very often, but I was just like, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I've gone up to um, R.L. Stein. I have teased mm -hmm. him mercilessly. The poor man doesn't even know who I am, but um, <laughs> you know, and he, but Karen Slaughter, I was just like, Oh no, I want to be you when I grow up. So I have a bit of a, uh, girl mm -hmm. crush on her but yes. um i love her i absolutely absolutely love gillian flynn's writing i mm -hmm. wish she would write another book because i just find her sublime oh when i was young it was Sidney sheldon he just introduced me to a dark and twisted world where people will conceal what they really are and that was my first taste of that uh oh god who else I mean, there's, there's a lot and I know I'm just going to be not thinking of people. And, um, I have this friend, Holly Overton. Uh, she is also a screenwriter, but she writes for the same publisher I do. And that's how I discovered her. And she has this wonderful way of making these kind of strangely twisted people that you don't expect to be twisted or people who will do anything for people they care about, which, um, mm -hmm. you know, appeals to me, whoever the writers were on justified, Loved yes, them. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Sutter, you know, Four Sons of Anarchy, mm -hmm. even though I will never forgive him for what he did to Opie. <laughs> um, and I stopped watching the show shortly thereafter because of that. And seriously, if I ever meet the man, I'm going to walk up to him. I'm going to be like, dude, what you did to Opie. Uh-uh. Yeah, um, not cool. No, not cool. <laughs> Opie was my favorite. Um, yeah, I guess that's who I've got off the top of my head right now. Oh, and the people who are writing Mindhunter on Netflix – Based on that last answer, I mm -hmm. asked this last question of all the authors on the show, but God forbid it should come to pass, Kate. Okay. But tomorrow, if you were to wake up and find that you've been murdered, okay. what what fictional investigator would you assign your homicide case? Oh, dear. Well, Sherlock's just Ponzi, 
and he's a know-it-all. And so I don't think I'd want him on it. I think if I wanted somebody to really figure out who did it, oh my goodness, I would want Jessica Fletcher on it. (laughs) You are the second Jessica Fletcher vote on the show. Really? Because she's tenacious, man. She'll figure it out. But if I want anybody to do anything about it, it's going to have to be Killian. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> if I want to be avenged in any way, I need I need her to take care of uh, that. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been acclaimed novelist Kate Kessler. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.